today on CityCast Denver. <sighs> Our housing crisis. It always feels like this insurmountable thing. But thanks to the pandemic, state lawmakers are thinking big about how we create more affordable housing. And it almost feels like there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Finally. I mean, Democrats and Republicans are working together. It's to my surprise as a lifelong Democrat that I'm calling in in support of a Republican-sponsored bill. It's broken watches right twice a day, you know? (laughs) One lawmaker who's been making big strides on the state's plan and has been reaching across the aisle is Democratic State Senator Julie Gonzalez. She represents parts of Western and Northwestern Denver, and she's on the show today to talk about why this might be a turning point in Colorado's housing crisis. Today is Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Oh, hold on, Julie. Sorry. There's something behind you that's like beeping. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a construction. I figured I was like, it sounds like, ironically enough, it sounds like construction is happening right outside of your window. Oh, <laughs> and <laughs> literally what's happening. Well, Senator Julie Gonzalez, welcome to CityCast Denver. Oh, my gosh. This is so exciting to be here. I listen to y'all all the time. <laughs> So for the past few months, you've been leading a task force of state lawmakers in charge of figuring out how to take advantage of what you have recently called a once in a generation opportunity to tackle Colorado's housing crisis. Can you explain what exactly is so special about this moment? What makes it once in a generation? You know, we have long uh, recognized that we're in a housing crisis here in Colorado. And yet, uh, given our tax policies, uh, you know, certainly including the Taxpayer Bill of Rights or TABOR or what have you, we often don't have the funds uh, necessary as a state to be able to respond to those crises. And so given the once-in-a-generation funds that we received from the American Rescue Plan Act, we then sat down as as lawmakers, you know, Democrats and Republicans, Uh, rural, suburban, and urban uh, legislators to really say, hey, how do we we make this money work and be meaningful um, to really address these deep-seated issues in our communities? And the conversations were great. Um, They were intense. But I I actually think that that's good. I don't think that you have to agree 100% of the time in order to have a meaningful conversation with somebody. But... um, the fact that after literally months of conversations with all of these different entities, um, we came to consensus, which is rare in politics. Yeah, I was going to say, it's <laughs> not a common thing, but it's unavoid. It's you can't we can't ignore it anymore. Right. Exactly. You know, we were hearing when we were talking uh, to one another, we were hearing from uh, communities in Alamosa. Uh, who were struggling uh, to to support their unhoused neighbors? When we we were talking to uh, mountain communities and resort towns about their housing challenges for their workers, and you know, for a long time, uh, we have recognized, particularly here in Denver, that we've got um, we've got issues, 
And for a long time, I think legislators from not Denver thought, yeah, well, that's a Denver issue. Good luck with that. And then the pandemic laid bare in their own communities things that maybe had had been invisible prior to. So the $550 million in federal pandemic relief that is going to housing that you all have set aside for housing, it, it sounds like a lot of money, right? I mean, it, it is a lot of money, but also housing is incredibly expensive to build. What is the sort of bigger picture plan for this money? Absolutely. Well, we took some money uh, from that $550 million allocation and immediately put it into direct relief to try to keep people housed in the midst of this pandemic, which is still ongoing, right? And so if today you find yourself at risk of eviction due to uh, the pandemic, uh, or if you're finding yourself worrying if you're going to be able to keep onto your home uh, through foreclosure, there are resources available that can assist you right now today. But then with our remaining $400 million dollars, We've had a lot of conversations as to how best can we uh, support the preservation of and uh, the development of new uh, affordable housing uh, to, to, you know, really address the, the crisis for the most amount of people possible. And in that way, we were really thinking, yeah, $400 million, it sounds like a lot of money. And then you start looking at the depth and the, the scale of the need across the state, and you realize there's a lot of different ways that you could spend that quickly and not even make a dent in the crisis. And so we spent our time thinking most about how could we make that money stretch and make that uh, money, in, in some cases, recycle um, in order to really help build more housing. So I'm thinking about this state level effort. And like you're saying, it's different municipalities all over the state are dealing with some level of this housing crisis. So how, how is that state effort going to work with the local like affordable housing work that's already happening? Like here in Denver, the city just published a new policy proposal that they say will incentivize affordable housing construction. What does that look like from the state level? Last year, we rolled out a pilot program that uh, said to local municipalities, hey, if y'all are willing to start addressing your zoning issues uh, to allow for more uh, creation of affordable housing, we're going to support you and we're going to make grant dollars available. We put $35 million aside. That was also from that $550 million initial allocation. We put $35 million aside to, to say, let's see if local municipalities are even interested in this. And I'll say we were shocked uh, and really excited by the response that we received because small towns even that had never really built out a housing plan before we're like, we really need to start thinking about this. This money would really help us to start putting together a plan. And then you've got communities like Denver, right, who have already rolled out um, a really robust plan, but they need help and assistance to actually fund uh, the individual projects themselves. And so we want to be able to support those types of projects as well. And Julie, you brought up uh, sort of one of the really hot sort of buzzwords of the moment, zoning, right? And <laughs> you hear a lot of housing advocates say that if you really want to make a difference, we need to change zoning laws because less zoning restrictions makes it easier to increase housing supply. Did you all talk about addressing zoning? 
we were we were trying to figure out how do we spend this four hundred million dollars, and how do we spend it well, right? And then at the end of the process, we still had a couple of meetings, and so we began having some initial conversations on, all right, now that we've come to consensus on funding, are there any policies that we can come to consensus on? And folks actually had a lot of conversation and discussion around uh, things like zoning. We just ran out of time. What's really interesting is that there's actually a policy that was introduced by a Colorado Springs Republican uh, senator who would ban anti-growth initiatives and and basically establish a series of consequences for uh, local governments that enact uh, these anti-growth ordinances. And we thought this would be a reasonable way to address it uh, rather than just throwing money. You know, if, if it was just money, you know, Colorado's got a budget surplus and there's been money thrown around forever, uh, there, there would never be a problem. But what we have to do is uh, loosen or, or don't put in place some of the onerous rules and regulations that, uh, that are a disincentive for uh, builders, developers, property owners to go out and do what they know how to do. And I think that that's so fascinating because you have, you know, a very, very, very staunch conservative uh, from Colorado Springs saying, if we actually want more housing, we need to hold accountable those governments who don't want to allow housing in their communities to be built either. It's, it's, it was very interesting. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of discussion around this uh, here at this General Assembly. It's, I'm so glad you brought that up because I actually spoke with uh, Senator Larry Liston uh, earlier this week about that proposed legislation. And it was surprising to me as well, um, coming from, a, you know, a GOP a representative who also is from Colorado Springs. I'm not trying to micromanage uh, in this piece of legislation. I have no desire to uh, tell uh, a local municipality that, you know, you have to do it our way uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, I, I do believe in, in local control. We're just trying to say, look, what seems like a good idea uh, suddenly or inadvertently has really impinged upon that property owner uh, locally. Uh, and rather than just say, no, uh, this might act as some encouragement or incentive for the local municipality to get together with that builder or developer and uh, work it out rather than just carte blanche, uh, you can't build anything or it has to be done in a certain method. So, so it's just a, it's meant to be kind of a tool that will ultimately help and foster the uh, development of, of housing. It had me thinking, do you do you think that there's an appetite among other Democrats for this sort of deregulation supply focused approach to housing? It's going to be really interesting to have this conversation because I do think that it's this is not a partisan issue as we recognize the the depth of the housing crisis that we're in right now, trying to think through what the solutions can be, what those approaches will entail. You know, one of the things that I'm most excited about working on is um, a a pretty new and innovative uh, proposal around uh, building out community land trusts, right? And um, and using these new tools uh, to help bring down the overall cost of housing. And, and 
there are lots of different ideas, right? Uh, another proposal that we that we talked about and reached consensus on was um, expanding the creation of modular housing, of manufactured housing, um, which also creates jobs. Um, if we're able to bring down the overall cost of housing and also support um, the creation of more jobs, that's the kind of, of innovative idea that we want to really support as a state. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. Julie, what happens when the pandemic relief money runs out? Uh, will the state go back to deferring to local governments? Or is this, do you feel like this is the beginning of something bigger in terms of the state supporting local municipalities continuing to tackle this problem? I think that there was real support. And one of the policy recommendations that we did get consensus on was this idea of building out a standing uh, committee at the legislature to address housing issues. You know, we have a judiciary committee that, that, um, addresses the courts in our, our, our legal system. We have a transportation committee that, you know, um, talks about our transportation system. We have an education committee. We should also build out a permanent housing committee um, to address these types of issues and, and treat them with the nuance and specificity that they need. Yeah, it's kind of like no duh, but, you know, <laughs> but also, at the, you know what I mean? At 20 years ago, it may have not been as necessary. You know, we're looking at a very different state right now. Um, exactly. Julie, you've shared publicly that you yourself live in an affordable housing unit. You've navigated those systems. How how did that experience inform the work that you're doing now on housing? You know, I feel like I feel like I'm a pretty smart person. And that process was still really complicated for me. Um, to 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 navigate and to understand, and um, and I was so afraid that I was going to mess something up, um, and and so what I really want to uh, to have happen is one, let's build more affordable housing so that um, there are units for people to apply for, but then two, um, let's make the process easier to navigate so that folks can get connected to the housing resources that they need, right? And so one of the things that came up was that speaking to veterans who are experiencing homelessness is very different and nuanced than it is to speak to someone who just got kicked out of their home because they came out mm -hmm. um, as LGBTQ and their parents kicked them out of their homes, right? Yeah. They're experiencing different things. They need different levels of, of care and support and compassion. And, um, and, and we should have a system that is responsive to everyone in their individual and particular circumstances, right? Yeah. That's, that's what we are trying to do is to actually build a Colorado where you can live 
in the communities that you work in and that you love. And I think that that will lead to stronger communities. Senator Julie Gonzalez, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for everything that you do, Bree, and for all of the space that you create uh, for these conversations to happen. Really, really means a lot. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. Camp Amachi is now officially on its way to becoming a National Historic Site. We reported yesterday that Utah Senator Mike Lee was the only voice in opposition to the designation. But later in the day, he apparently changed his tune. Well, okay then. Also, the STAR program is expanding. According to Colorado Politics, after a unanimous vote by city council this week, the program that sends social workers and paramedics to respond to some 911 calls will get $1.4 million to expand their services. With this new money, the program is now projected to respond to 10,000 calls a year. That's nearly 10 times the amount of calls they are already currently able to handle, which is awesome. And finally, after some vague social media posts alluding to something bigger, Governor Polis officially announced his run for re-election yesterday. Progress is hard, and overcoming these challenges will be a journey for all of us. Oh, buddy, you don't know the half of it. I don't have to tell Coloradans what the last few years have been like. You've lived it. We're still living it. But Colorado has always been about moving forward, not turning back. So I've never stopped working to build a better Colorado for generations to come. Governor Jared Polis is coming... That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. And five stars is awesome if you want to rate us five stars. I'm just saying. And subscribe to our morning newsletter. We will be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. Do you want me to do it regular? I can do it regular too. Okay. <laughs>